Welcome back to Inside the Pastor Study Podcast. I'm Pastor Jeremy. And I'm Pastor George. And uh, we are uh, in an actual study. Check this Look out. Like for the first time ever, we got to move off of the side of the street. Yeah, they let uh, us come inside week. finally. Yeah. And here we are now inside a uh, what looks like a pastor, pastor study. study. This is actually a picture, right? From, your from study. my it's study. Just, yeah. you know, it's, this this is my study. Yeah. So after nearly 60 episodes of talking about we're in the pastor study, here we are. Being truthful. Sort of sort being of. truthful yeah, well. with the green screen, but it looks like a pastor study because that's how studios work best. But yes. here we are. So and if you're um if you're just really confused about what we've just said because you're one of our um consistent tried and true podcast listeners, um just last week, we started a new thing here. We um, now have, the, we've always had capability, but now we have the understanding on how to do our um, our podcast in a vid- visual video. format video, also, yeah. right? right? And so you may be tuning into this on YouTube. We, ha- we, are have a, we have a YouTube page through Marsh Corner Community Church, and we'll post this after the episode's over. Um, and then also, if you uh, um, consume the podcast through Spotify, um, you can watch this uh, podcast really? through Spotify, and huh. um, if you tap the button, like you can, you can listen to it. It'll download like normal. So if you've always listened to it through that app, it'll down- look like normal. But if you tap the progress bar, it'll slide up on your phone, and you can see our happy faces. Good. And then you can, or if you're gonna jump in the car and drive somewhere or something, you can just tap it again, and it collapses down, and it uses less data that way too. So right, really cool stuff. Technology, it's fun. Good. Speaking of technology, yes, um, we started a great podcast yesterday. Oh, it was amazing! Like forty-five minutes into just like the topics that we're going to try again to cover yes. today. Yes, and it was I was excited. I was feeling like it was one of our better episodes. It was amazing. It and really then amazing. I uh, pressed a button to realize that um, we hadn't been recording audio the entire time. Right. Just, just just this new video no yeah. audio and so <clears throat> if you are a um lip reader lip reader and you're you would like to you know see that content you know you can always email me at podcast at marshcorner.com and i'll see what i can do for you but here we are hopefully you're Roughly listening approximating yesterday maybe. yeah we'll see we'll there's see. this interesting thing right um for pastors who do multiple services in a weekend yeah um like at least for us like this is not the case for for many pastors. I know there a lot of guys pastors with manuscript. Are, yeah, they do something called manuscripting. This is this is a chance. Like this is this is inside stuff for somebody, right? Yeah, like somebody, yeah. some people may not know this, but there are there are kind of like um, pastors organize their sermons in different ways and organize their notes in different ways. And there's like a spectrum of that, but there are really two big categories. The one is uh, one are uh, guys who will manuscript their services, who will really like who will write their sermons out, and it'll be there basically word for word. And the really good manuscriptors will fool you. You'll have no idea that they're a manuscriptor because they're just skilled at using their notes in that way. They're still gifted communicators, and but they will have their sermon done word for word. And um, and that's really helpful if you're running multiple services for consistency. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you're not a manuscriptor, I am neither not a am I. And I think I'm either further along the on this spectrum than you are. So you have like pretty detailed notes still when yeah. you preach. 
um, you know, like an, your basic outline is what you'll preach yes. from. Yeah. But it's still and stream of consciousness. It, but you'll still like, you'll use those to like, yeah, initiate thought and preach from there. Yes. And I'll do that too, but my outlines are a little thinner than yours. I've just noticed as we've compared notes. Yeah. Um, but same thing. We're more stream of consciousness, which makes a second service or a second podcast potentially unique. Like we really do True. try to keep yeah. those things consistent. Yeah, and there's, um, there's errata. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I was called out, called out by one of my scientists the other day because I referred to a concept that I thought was the su proper scientific term. Mm -hmm. He came and told me that I had used it incorrect. This is the problem when you term. live in north of Boston. Yes. Yeah. yeah which yeah. we are because yeah. we didn't do the official yeah. intro here, right? We're right. a pastor and son team serving a local church north of Boston um, in Massachusetts. And the, the point of the podcast, is, as I'm sure you're starting to figure out if you're new with us, is you're getting a chance to hear some of those conversations that pastors have throughout the week. You're getting exactly. some of those inside uh, inside looks into what yes. it's like to be a pastor and what we talk about. Yeah. And uh, yeah, these are yeah. some of the, but no, yeah. living north of Boston, you've got like a lot of scientists in our- So he came to me and he said, just pastor, you can send me your notes if you'd like ahead of time. <laughs> and I will check, I will I'll check your data. scientific terms for you, you know? <laughs> And then, like, and he well, really just wants your notes. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He wants to know what's going on ahead yes. of time because because he's a scientist. Yeah, and, totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. hilarious. Um, so, and I like to hide all of that. Like, <laughs> this is like a present that I've been wrapping all week for you, and I don't want to like I don't want you to see the present early. Yes, like I, this is even a struggle for me when I like give my give the office our office team notes in advance for a sermon. Yeah, I'm like, I, yeah. All right, I'll give them to you, but please don't look at them. Like, I don't want it spoiled. I've really like labored over this thing and I want it to be a surprise, right? Yeah. And that's, doesn't matter, but yeah. it does to me, right? Like, that's exciting. Anyway, so um, we were talking uh, the other week, you know, the, the, one of the things that we I love about this podcast is, you know, I, I think it was last week that we talked about discipleship and, and how yes. we leverage our time for personal discipleship with others. And um, one of the things that is a challenge is just we're all limited by time and um we um while i have a heartbeat for discipleship it's one of my favorite things as pa as a pastor like discipleship is time consuming and so you really have to limit how many people you can be building into if you're going to do that with um any regularity any regularity or any kind of effectiveness really mm -hmm. right and mm -hmm. so um, one of the things that we love about this podcast is it gives us opportunity to um, have some of those discipleship type conversations that we may be having with you in a one-to-one -one, uh, relationship, but it gets to be with a few more than one-to-one. -one. Sure. So, so yeah. it's a multiplier. Yeah. So yeah. we get to, you know, go into some of these topics with more depth and, um, and also spin off into like the random obscurity conversations too, which are also really fun aspects of discipleship, right? Because you don't, I think as a disciple, you don't want to just know all of the data I know. Like you want to know how I live my life and yeah, you want exactly. to be able to see how I to apply get the all of that data into my daily decisions. Like that's the, that's the good stuff of discipleship. And so our hope through this podcast is you're getting some of that good stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I have a guy that has been one of my disciples for about a year and a half and, uh, we're working through that Navigator's book that we talked yeah. about. We're we're really far along. Well, I think we're in like book four. Cool. So about halfway through, uh, except we're now at that point where I, I think last week together, we, we answered two questions mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because it was just, it was just this constant unpacking and application and, 
and working through things in his life that if that were uh, in those questions, addressing things that I had experienced. And because, you know, that's part of what God does in our lives is he shapes us and we that shape, you know, we have an acronym for that yeah. that we borrowed. And uh, and that E stands for experience. So all of our experiences are part of the things that God does for us in our lives. And if you're not discipling and sharing your experiences, then you're not you're not fully discipling. Right. Yeah. Because you can get a lot from you can get a lot from a book or from you know from a textbook. Um. Obviously, like you know, we're talking about scripture words in our theological term of the week that's coming up, and. You know, we talk about the sufficiency of scripture, like everything you need for success in God's kingdom. Comes Are you previewing from a word here? Uh, this not yeah. Of, yeah. Um, so yeah, we haven't even hit the little like button yet. Um, but you know, so we're you know, we, we we believe that, but also like the 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 I don't know, just some of the really good stuff of what it is to be a follower of Jesus comes in these discipleship relationships where you're taking that content and moving it toward you know. Praxis, yes. application, yes, your know, work. So yeah, yeah. so that's it. so. Thanks for joining us on yes. that. Yes, we being discipled by yeah. us. Yeah, we totally. appreciate that. We kick off our um our these conversations with a theological in, but yes, theological <laughs> term of the week. The theological term of the week. This week's term. Canon. Now that's with two ends, not with three. That confused me. I got to be honest. Like, yes, we we did this yesterday, and you're like, wait, two ends? Like, the, there's yeah. two ends in the middle. So no, in the word, in the word, C A. Because if I had said, because if I had said, there's one N and not two. Yeah. Then my scientist guy would have texted me this <laughs> week and are said, are there are three ends in and that word. You know? Yeah. 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 But Canon, C-A-N-O-N, not C-A-N-N-O-N. So not the giant gun, something not else. Not the giant gun, uh, something else. Canon, C-A-N-O-N. Okay. And, right. And what the word Canon I'm means. I'm going to draw a little line in my notes to eliminate one of those ends right there now. There you go. Yeah. Just good. Like a little cannonball? Yeah, I drew a cannonball to yeah. block out an end. Yeah, right. Yeah. Good. All right. Yeah. So Canon, um, it, comes, it comes from a Greek word, mm -hmm. uh, which means uh, basically means cane. Okay. Um, and the concept of a cane, kind of like um, um, a cattail or um, a, a sugar cane. It, not like a walking stick. Not like a walking okay. stick, but, you know, cane-type cane uh, grasses. Okay. They grow with a nice round cylinder shape. Mm -hmm. um, quite often, actually, they'll even have regularly spaced intervals of notches where they've gone through growth periods. Mm -hmm. So you can cut those canes and they're nice and straight and they dry out nicely uh, and then they can, then they can be used as measuring sticks. Hmm. So for example, in the book of Ezekiel, uh, um, Ezekiel is commanded to take um, a cane, a measuring stick and measure the new Jerusalem that he's uh, – the, the new heaven, the new Jerusalem that he's looking at and hmm. to measure the new temple – and uh, you see that again in Revelation where John is taking a cane and measuring the walls of, uh, of the new heaven and the new earth. And that's the idea of a cane. So you, if you're looking at a, a Roman measure, it would be six feet long. So you have a six foot long cane. Everything has to measure up to that cane. Hmm. We still use a six foot level, right? Sure. Six yeah. foot. Yeah. Right. 
Or, you know, uh, if any of you have ever had a deed, a surveyor's deed, it will tell you how many, how many chains and how many links the property is. Mm -hmm. And because the chain is an established length uh, of distance in survey. Mm. So you have chains and links mm -hmm. to determine your measurement. So, so basically when we use the word cannon, we're talking about a measuring stick. Does it measure up? And when we're talking about canon in the concept of scriptology, we're talking about the, the books of the Bible. Do they measure up as actually being part of the Bible? Hmm. Now, in, in uh, Protestant thinking, there are 66 books in the canon, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. They add up to 66. Those are the books that measure up. So we just established this with some like council hundreds of years after. Yeah, that's Jesus one theory. Jesus had, you know, left the earth. Like it was just a group of guys hang hanging out in a room for a while. And they're like, no to this gospel of Thomas thing. And no yeah, to yeah. this, you know, gospel of Mary thing. Like we just don't like those. We want these instead, right? Yeah. That's how that all worked. So no, yeah. actually. I mean, there is a council mm -hmm. that eventually says um, these are the books. Right. Okay. But what really established those books is their usage. Mm -hmm. um, they were recognized uh, immediately as being scripture. Uh, and by the way, you see that. Um, I think it's interesting, for example, that Peter, talking about Paul in Second Peter. Yeah. Says, uh, talks about how Paul's writings are hard to understand, but that there are people out there who are trying to destroy them or wrestle with them just as they do other, other scripture. scripture. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? And it's not just using the word scripture as, as a meaning of writings, but mm -hmm. they understood. I mean, people got a letter from Paul. They knew who it was really coming from. They knew who it was really coming from. Yeah. By the way, you want to know something significant there. Um, when Paul writes 2 Corinthians, he seems to say that there was another letter that he had written to the Corinthian church right. that we, we don't have. We don't have. So it's not just, it's not just oh, this letter came from Paul. Therefore, therefore it's scripture. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, there's something about it mm -hmm. that it measured up. Mm. And uh, I, I like what the, uh, the old rabbis used to say um, about the, the Old Testament canon. Uh, they used to say that it was a book that defiled the hands. Hmm. So when, when those rabbis would read a book in scripture, what it basically meant was that it was so pure, so much God, so holy, that they themselves felt dirty and needed to take a bath because they had just interacted with the holiness of God. Yeah. And I think there's this um, misunderstanding when it comes to particularly the Old Testament texts. Sure. Um, you know, we, we talk about the history of the nations and of, you know, the, the evolution of uh, literature over the ages. And we think of like really, really early time as a time where things get passed down verbally, which is true in the days of Moses. Um, um, or pre-Moses. I think they would be true in the days pre-Moses, uh, yeah. pre-Abraham yeah. perhaps. Um, you definitely get some of that in from uh, Gerhard von Rod yeah. and his, his like writings. Theory, right? Yeah. yeah. But ultimately, I think that, that 
the the Jews, particularly as a culture, have historically been prolific in their writings. Yes, and so and they also understood that there is a difference between what was scripture and what was not, and they would have. There are we have tons of ancient writings that are Jewish in nature and pertain to the law and the writings and the prophets. Yes, but don't necessarily. But they've known even in those days that they weren't scripture. We are, yes, we're in a we're in a uh, Bible reading group um, on the, the U version app, and uh, somebody actually asked this question because we were just finishing up Second Chronicles recently, and they're like, you know, it refers to these like the books of the kings of the what? Yes, the, what is that? Or the book of the wars of the Lord. Yeah. that's another. Yeah, good one. yeah. yeah. Like, Where are those books? And the answer is they don't. They're gone. They're gone. They're, they're gone. They, they weren't scripture. They're gone. They were helpful. Right. They weren't scripture. So you know, this kind of takes us on a a, a rabbit trail of sorts. And, and I'm going to, I love those. Let's I'm going to pursue this just for a second, right? Because we have a humanist view of communication hmm. that I think is that we as believers chafe against. Mm-hmm. The humanist view of, of communication is that, first of all, it begins with the concept that human beings don't know how to communicate with other human beings. And of course, if you begin with Adam and Eve, you begin with an understanding that. Adam and Eve both know how to communicate with one another and communicate with God. Yeah. Right? So you have that, but then you have this other other aspect of that, and that is that contemporary communication theory, um, which comes out of anthropology, says that human beings didn't learn to write until recently. Very recently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so they deny they deny um, written history. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the concept. Do you ever hear the word prehistoric? Mm-hmm. Anything that is prehistoric technically to a historian is anything that comes before writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, oral history would definitely have to be prehistoric because it's writing that matters. And I think... It, That's it, an interesting... Like we, can, we chafe against like something called presentism this, in these days, right? Where, yes, we like we discount any previous cultural thought as not as informed as our current one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But that's a pretty good example of presentism that's been at play for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. Like writing is the is the thing. There's the thing. Yeah. You know, and no other mm-hmm. form of communication is as authentic or as trustworthy as writing is. And I mean, we were having a conversation earlier this morning about something that we needed to make sure was written down for yes. the future, right? Yes. Like yes. we're still products of that. Yes. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that's accurate or fair. Accurate. Yeah, true. Yeah. True. So, so here's the thing though. Um, the more we dig, the more archaeology we do, mm. the more we realize that written History and writing and written culture keeps getting older. Keeps getting older and older and older. So, so we already have in our archaeological libraries writing that predates Moses. Mm -hmm. So it's not just uh, it's not just as you're cruising up through Spaceship Earth and you find out that the Egyptians made papyrus. Yeah. Writing predates papyrus. Writing yeah. writing exists in clay tablets. In um, a lang- there's a language called cuneiform mm-hmm. that predates uh, actually uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs. And even though it's not a Phoenician alphabet, it's still more distinctive than hieroglyphs are. Mm. And 
what's you know what has blown the minds of a lot of people is that uh, some of that writing actually uh, uses like the Ebla tablets, for example. Um, they actually use the names of people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not that a- not that they're talking about the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But that name exists. In that the name exists in yeah. the culture, and and on top of it being that those names appeared, those tablets are actually things like land deeds. Mm. So very common. You would actually only have land deeds in a in a culture where there's a literate understanding of how to read. Makes sense to me. Right. Because you're going to make a contract and you're going to write a deed and you're going to put these names, you know, the names of the deed holders. And if nobody in can the read text. it, then why bother? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. So um uh, you have so we have more and more writing stuff. Uh you get issues with with um David in one thousand BC writing psalms that use acrostics for the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And people say, oh, he couldn't have done that in 1000 because there wasn't an alphabet. And boom, that's gone now because guess what? We have historical documents that show that there was a Hebrew alphabet Mm -hmm. before David was writing and there is growth in literature. So, So you have books. You have old books. Old books don't make it to the canon. Right. It's it's books that quite honestly, when when the culture that received those books opened them up and read them, they said, This is from God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that's the driving force. Now we've got lots of books. We've talked about this a little bit. We said that, you know, there's you you mentioned Dan Brown, you mentioned uh the Gospel of Thomas. Yeah. Which of course he used to make a movie, a book and a movie. Yeah. And, uh, and a whole bunch of money. And no one accepts the Gospel of Thomas as being scripture. Right. You know, maybe except for Dan Brown. I don't even know if he does. It's just good fiction. It's just good fiction, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, those are books Those are books that didn't measure up to the canon. In fact, no one saw them that way. Mm-hmm. So they looked at those books and they gave them a title. They called them pseudopigrapha, the word pseudo meaning false mm-hmm. and the word grapha meaning writing. So they're false writings. Mm-hmm. And and no one sees those as being, you know, okay, they're valuable because they're literature, if you will. Sure, yeah. It's, kind it's, of it's, like... It's a bit like the Left Behind series. Yeah. Right? When the no, Left we're... Behind series comes out, you know, there are people mm, who... We're about to get in trouble here. Yeah, I, I know. There are people who get their eschatology from... Tim yeah. LaHaye's Tim books. LaHaye and I Jenkins. And I knew old. Tim LaHaye. He, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Great. Like, it's great yeah. stuff. And I think it's based on, like, a really solid interpretation of what could happen. Yeah. But, but. it's not real. And he didn't intend for it to be real. No. And and the most audiences knew when they were consuming it that it wasn't real. Even Kirk Cameron knows it's not real. I hope. I hope. But, you know, ultimately, it's... It's good accessory information that allows the like creative mind that God's blessed us all with to imagine. Sure. So and we all knew yeah. that that's what we all, most people know that that's what that is. Yes. And I think in its day, the Gospel of Thomas was an exercise in creativity that people, when they consumed it, knew that it was an exercise in creativity. And they would never have placed that in scriptures because it clearly wasn't scripture. Absolutely. Yeah. So let Let's move that a step, right? So those are those are, I'm going to call those pseudepigrapha. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, Left Behind would fit that. There's another series of books or another 
group of books, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. By the way, there's New there's Old Testament pseudepigrapha too, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's there's both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's there's a a series of of books called apocrypha. Mm-hmm. Now apocrypha are books that man they have some value. Mm-hmm. You you can see that there's value in the good. Let me give you a good example from the New Testament. There's a there's a book uh, written uh, probably within a uh, hundred years of uh, the death of of John called the Didache. Mm-hmm. And the Didache is this really interesting church etiquette book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it gives a great picture into what ch- church cultures were like in the first, second century. Absolutely, right? yeah. Um, man, what cool, like, um, You even use some I of used, that. Yeah, I used, I, used, I was preaching a sermon not too long ago on communion, and I was able to pull from the Didache like some understandings of what that love feast looked like in the early church and how Paul was likely reframing when he talks about communion, um, he's likely pulling their shared experience and what that that um, feast had become and reorienting them back toward what Jesus does in Matthew. Yeah. And we get to see that bridge by reading things like the Didache. Like yes. we, can, we can read Paul, we can read Matthew. And when with Didache in the middle, like, oh, that's why Paul says what he says here, because this had become the practice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's still not scripture. It's at that point, you're looking at like great supporting information, which doesn't bear the weight of scripture and still can carry falsehood and, um, you know, and error and, you know, and a misunderstanding, misunderstanding. point. Sure. All of that is still sure. in there and it needs filtering. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, we have this lovely background of books behind us and, yeah. you know, in a thousand years, um, if people dig up our libraries, if they happen to survive, like there will probably be people who say like, hey, this, like this book, you know, Velvet Elvis is, you know, that was like a secret gospel and people in its people day, need, yeah, people, people in the day, they, they, there was a big fight over whether or not this was part of scripture. And, um, and in our day, we know, well, there were some fights over that book, but we knew it was a book. We knew that it was a reference book or a, uh, an exercise in theology. And even the writer knew that that had no, that that was not the Bible. They never wanted that to be the Bible. It's a, it was a commentary on the Christian experience. Right. So let me give you, let me give you a cross, a cross genre application since we just were slamming, well, I mean, mentioning um, the uh, Left Behind series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments. I got to hurt those people too. Come on. Sure. Right. Sure. That I would call that apocryphal. Sure. I mean, Emphasis on the awful? <laughs> just, just the acting. <laughs> Come aside and see this thing. Anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean uh, there are a lot of people who draw their entire understanding of the book of Exodus from Cecil, from B. Cecil B. DeMille. Yeah. Um I con- conversely, I think that there are an awful lot of people who have rejected the book of Exodus based upon what Cecil B. DeMille understood. Uh, yeah, I could see that. So there is this necessity of constantly saying, okay, that was a that was a pretty good story. It includes a lot of scripture. This, this is this is art. This isn't scripture. Yeah, exactly. Right. So uh, you know, there's there's a lot of fill in. Um, but 
conflation of Con- texts from other points sure. that don't have anything to do Absolutely. with it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it sounded good at that point. It's a great line. So, yeah. yeah, right. So, um, DeMille does a good job of pointing us back to the Book of Exodus. Mm-hmm. But if if you never actually go back to the Book of Exodus, I guess you could say the same thing for for LaHaye. Mm-hmm. If you never go back to the Book of Revelation, you you really don't understand, and your misunderstanding left behind. Sure. But I guess I would say DeMille is closer because he's actually using character names that are, are real, <laughs> sort of. It's 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 hard to be close if you're doing something in Revelation because we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. We won't be here yet either. Yeah. Yeah. So um. So yeah, so you've got Apocrypha, and Apocrypha therefore has some value. Um, this is, you know, this is one of those differences between uh, Roman Catholicism and uh, Protestantism, is that Roman Catholicism includes eight books of Apocrypha, of Apocrypha as canon mm-hmm. that we in Protestantism reject from canon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the problem is we can look at those eight books and we can say there's value in them. Right. Um, but yeah, and we got to this point yesterday too. Like, and I think the difference is, is that it really comes down to what we believe scripture exists for. Yes. And, yes. And you know, the, the marvelous thing about scripture is not that it is a collection of writings from an ancient people um, or a history book or a science book or a to-do list. It's none of those things. Like, uh, scripture exists for a u- single unified story in what God is doing in and through his creation and consummation of that. And he is, the whole point of scripture is redemption. Absolutely. And so every one of those 66 books, which drips um, Holy Spirit. Yes. Right? Yes. Every one of those 66 books um, tells a portion of God's redemption story with his people. Right. And, And the problem with those apocryphal books is that they don't link into the redemption story. Perfectly true. Yes. It's that whole the whole of the whole of the old and the new testament is a funnel pointing me to the new heaven and the new earth and my redemption in Jesus Christ. If if I add to that, I'm I'm distracting from that from that point. So you don't I mean you don't you don't get a lot of detail on a lot of things. I I struggled, for example, when I was writing my ordination paper hmm. to deal with the doctrine of angiology. I just skipped that one. Good, good move. Yeah. Right. If you don't talk about it, they don't ask you questions. They don't ask you questions. So <laughs> I tried skipping everything and that didn't work. It didn't so work. I, yeah. I left angiology yeah, in the yeah. cutting room floor. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I had I had like a couple of paragraphs and and some of the things that I said about angels are were controversial. I guess it's been in my blood for a long time. Being controversial, just because I could not, I, what we know about angels, for example, is only what takes place within the redemptive. The redemption story. Yeah, you don't know where they begin. Mm -mm. People are going to make arguments about where they begin from scripture. Are they created? Did they fall between creation and man's fall? Yeah, I don't know. Between Genesis one one a and one one b. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not part assuming, of their assuming assuming facts, not in evidence. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And and when I come to the scripture, is the is the scripture good history? Yes, trustworthy, reliable, absolutely honest, true. Right, doesn't tell you anything about the history of the Romans. No, 
doesn't tell you anything about the history of the Greeks. Mm-mm. It tells you about the history of God's redemption of, of man. Mm-hmm. So if it's not within the redemptive history, it's not in scripture. Right. Right. There's no rabbit trail to say, oh yeah, these people descended from Shem and they were here and then they were there. And and here's how we get all the nations of the world. It wasn't part of the, it wasn't part of what God was doing through his work. What did they have for dinner? Right. Don't know. So, it wasn't part of the redemptive history. Yeah. So, you know, circling back now that we're almost done with our podcast and not even getting into our topic, topic today. Yeah. 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 So, cause this is, this this Wheelhouse stuff. Yeah, this is a thing that we both just love. Like we're getting into the, the really fun theology stuff that we can like just read about and talk about for hours. Um, if you hadn't noticed that already, we're sorry. Um, but you know, the, the, the idea of canon is that these, um, these are both books that have been measured um, and found trustworthy to be scripture. And also, are they are books that measure us? Yes, right. Yes, that, that's, that, that's both true. Yeah, that these are the these are the um, the books that measure our own personal redemptive story against God's greater redemptive story. And our contention here, and we're not alone on this. This is the majority view. Our contention here is that these sixty six books have always been recognized. You know, in their progression as they were created over the course of thousands of years by diverse authors, always have been recognized as directly from God and considered to be scripture from their outset. And as God added to it up into the last writing of Revelation, which is the last one, you know, the you know, yes. the timeline. Yeah. Up through all of that and then the closing of scripture and the closing of revelation, um, of that type of revelation, right? Then then this is it. We have a closed canon. We're not adding to it. It doesn't expand. There's no angel in upstate New York that's going to give us a, a part two. Nope. Like nope. The, none of that nope. exists. This is a, this is the yardstick that God has given us to measure our experience with Him, with one another, and with and where we land in the redemptive story. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So that's yeah. canon. Canon. Theological term of the week. Ooh. The theological term of the week. <laughs> I love that artwork. If you're not getting totally the video, awesome. if you're not getting the video version of this, like you just need to quick go check that out just for fun. My wife saw it the other day. Did she? she was like, "Have you seen the artwork?" I said, "Yes." <laughs> That's great. Um, gifted people in our church. It's awesome. Totally. Um, so, in the like three minutes we have left in this podcast, sad. Let's hit like one of the largest topics we may have ever covered. <laughs> yeah. That sound like a fair. Yeah, that sounds fair. So, <laughs> so one of the things that we, you know, one of the, one of the things that we like to use this podcast for is digging into some of those um, topics that hit the cutting room floor in our sermon preparation. Because I mean, sometimes, sometimes we write a sermon and it just all flows and everything that, everything that we prepare perfectly fits and it all goes in and it's just a complete package. But then there are other topics where there's, um, a lot of editing and filtering to try and get all that information into a particular package. And this, these last two weeks, these last two sermons that you've preached started as a singular Single sermon. sermon. Yeah. And, you know, we, you know, and having a conversation leading up to this, realized like this has to be at least two sermons. Yeah. And, and so you split them into two. And even with that split, there's a lot that hit the cutting room floor. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, I guess this is the other side, other encouragement about discipleship, right? Because, mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, as a pastor, it is my it is my agony that for the majority of a congregation, I get thirty four minutes a week to teach. Them. Yeah, yeah, you know, and uh, and that's all I have. Mm-hmm. And and so thirty four minutes when you know your quiet time should be an hour. Mm-hmm. So. How do you cram all of that into 34 minutes and still make it, um, still make it desirable, not make it so dry and so fact filled that people are going, oh man, this was over, mm-hmm. you know? And so, yeah, lot lot hits the cutting room floor. Yeah, it's all it's. I think there's a reason that we both like to cook, also as a thing, right? Like there's just, there's a similarity personality there where you're just trying to create they're trying to craft something that somebody's going to find delicious but also is going to like nourish them yes yes and that's that's the that's the that's the role of a sermon preparer or you know is to craft something that's delicious but will also nourish And, and sometimes there are things that hit the floor because they won't nourish and sometimes there are things that hit the floor because they're not delicious yes and uh sometimes they just hit the floor because our our um our cook time is only 30 minutes and and that that particular concept is an eight hour crockpot concept. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. And so um, so as a backstory for those who aren't part of our congregation, we're preaching through First Timothy. Yes. And you're taking the I think the, the really great perspective on First Timothy that this book exists to be a doctrine book for yeah. the early church. Yeah. Um, like this is you know it's an early it's a young pastor. Um, it's a it's a community of people who are already having to deal with controversy and heresy because there's midst. already yeah there's yeah. already that stuff coming in. There's already people who are coming in and saying, "Well, that's not really what we want to do." Or yeah, what the Bible says. Yeah, or, but you know, God really didn't mean. Yes, that's my favorite, right? Yeah, that's, absolutely. That we've, we've been dealing with. Did God really say from the very beginning? Yes, right. And, and that's that's a key. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so yeah. that's still an issue, and and I think as humans, every time we hear, "Did God really say?" Our heartbeat doesn't tend to be for what God said. Our heartbeat tends to be for whatever, like the human is. Yes. in that in that conversation. Yes, surely God will forgive X. Yeah, yeah, and so, um, so Paul's correcting <laughs> a lot of this, a lot of these doctrinal positions early, early. Yeah, which makes for some interesting conversation going forward, and so. Um, in this passage that we were covering, um, you were, you know, one of the more controversial sections of scripture is this idea of women and their role with men and women and their roles within the church. Yeah. yeah, it's tough. um, we still, like, I think we still have these arguments today. Um, and we, we break these two, um, we're we're in two camps on this. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and, and. We've used this analogy before when it comes to like our faith, and there are like core principles that make you a Christian. Yes, and then a second ring that are convictions that you can point to Scripture on and say like, "This is what I believe based on my understanding of Scripture." And you may have a different a different um, reading of Scripture, and so because of your different conviction, um, we'll enjoy eternity in heaven together, but we probably will have a struggle fellowshipping on Sunday mornings together. Exactly. And then the louder ring, uh, outer ring is like um, preference, right? Whatever. Yeah. And so we're in a conviction ring conversation. Yeah, because, and I think it's interesting because uh, the way I take this passage of scripture uh, in First Timothy verses uh, chapter two, verses eight to 15, 
I, I think that Paul is really talking about how to stay united. Mm-hmm. So he's he's pointing out a a scriptural direction toward having a united church. In mm-hmm. other words, towards staying in that. If you are going to stay ring. as a community of yeah, second ring people, we're right. Yeah, yeah, this is this is what this is what God says on what a church should look like. Yep. 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 And so there are two views that have come about historically. I think that existed in Timothy's day. Yeah, uh, most likely. Um, but there are two views, and the the terms for those two, you're going to get some bonus theological terms today. Um, but the two camps on this, you have complementarians, yes, and egalitarians, yes, or egalitarian, yeah, egalitarian, yeah. yeah. I always think of it as egalitarian or equalitarian. That's kind of how I kind of remember yeah. those two. But yeah. the complementarian view, which is the view that we take on this is that men and women are created with distinct giftedness. Yes. Um, with different roles, but with equal value. Always equal Always value. equal value, but with different roles based on their on their different sexes or ba- based on their different genders, right? Strengths and weaknesses. Yes. yes. And then the, um, the egalitarian worldview would say that men and women have both equal value and equal role. Everybody's the same. Everybody's the same. Kind now, of a, yeah, yeah. And everybody's the thing, same. Yeah. Nobody's. Uh, anyway, so, you know, and they would pull, like, I want to do, a, I want to try and do my best to do a service to, to these brothers and sisters who I disagree with. Um, they would pull from texts like out of Acts, where they're talking about how, where Paul says there's neither slave nor- That's Ephesians. Or Ephesians, right. Slave nor free. Uh, there's a passage in Acts too about barbarians and Scythians or something. Oh, somewhere else. Yeah. One of those days, yeah. mushy, mushy brain, but yeah, yeah, slave or free, um, you know, there's you know, rich or poor, you know, the whole like opposites, neither male nor female, right? Yes, like we're all yes. equal. All is that equal. Te- is that is the thrust of that passage? Yes, and they would say, see, like the Bible says that there's no distinction in any of these things. We're all on equal footing, and I would say yes, yes. in value. Yes. There is no difference in the value to the kingdom or to the church or to God's work in any of these categories. We all, because we are created in his image and have his have his imprint in our lives, we all have equal value. value. The difference, I believe, comes more from our assigning of value to specific jobs. Yes. And I think this yeah. is where the conflict comes. Yeah. I, I would say, I think one of the things that I said yesterday is I, I don't think you apply this concept of, of leadership and role responsibility. Um, I call it the honor principle, mm-hmm. right? The two things that unite a church is, uh, first of all, humility before mm-hmm. God, mm-hmm. humility in your understanding and recognition of who you are and what you're supposed to be doing for mm-hmm. God, but also honor. And that is who you lift up and why you lift them up. Yeah. And it's not just who you lift up, but it's why you lift them up. Right. And uh, I, I made the statement yesterday. I don't see um, that this passage says that uh, women can't be police officers or women can't be scientists or women can't be, you know, there's an argument. president. Yeah. Can't be president. Absolutely. Or there was an argument a couple of years ago about, you know, um, in, I think some, I think some person actually stepped in this, couldn't. You know, women can't be engineers because they don't have math brains. Uh. And I'm like, yeah, you remember that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that's not true. No. Yeah. Not that at all. part is not true. Yeah. Um, and, and if you're a complementarian and you go that direction, you are going to get yourself in trouble. Deservedly so. Because that's not Paul's point. Right. 
Right. Okay. We were at a conference recently, and one of the women who's a CEO now of Ancestry.com, I think she was, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, comes from a church background, and she was counseled against taking like one of these high-powered jobs that she'd been offered by a pastor because she was a woman and that was not her role. And like, I think he, most of the complementarians in that room, we all cringed. Cringed. Like, Absolutely. Oh, why would you say that? And like, she, you know, the story went on and she talked to the senior pastor because, you know, those guys know. And uh, well, <laughs> there you go. It's a, these are the associates you have to watch out for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, who encouraged her to continue in that path? Right. But that's, that's not what Paul's getting at here. Paul no. is not talking about women's leadership capability. No. Or or anything. He's talking about unity within the body of believers. Yes. Yeah. Right. Specific. Right. And he says, you know, there are there are specific positions of honor mm -hmm. in here. And 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 we've I think we we struggle with this because the world doesn't want to honor the same things that we want to honor. That's really true. I and I think on the one hand they do. Like I think that as a culture, we really value leaders and leadership. Like that's a that is a um that is a podium that we put people on, right? Yeah. And it's a thing that we all kind of aspire to, whether it's like the 14-year-old girl wanting to be an Instagram influencer or a billionaire who wants to be a president. Like we don't, we, st we really like start to like assign as a culture personal value to leadership. leadership. Yeah. And, um, and that's just a thing that as a culture, we either celebrate or destroy. That's true. And um, that's not in Paul's economy here. And I don't think it's in Jesus's economy either. I, I think that is a good thing to aspire to leadership. Yes. Yeah. And I, but I think that, and I think that everybody has an area of leadership responsibility in their own lives that they should exercise at varying degrees. But when you start assigning value to those things, that's when you get in trouble. And so as a culture, when we look at like, pastor has to be a man like then like the culture can look at that and like oh so you only like men huh like, yeah men are yeah. better than women so yeah so and that's a false assumption that the bible doesn't make this is so this is something we talked about sunday and that is this whole this whole underpinning concept of can't mm -hmm. and you know that comes right that comes right out of the 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 fall story mm -hmm. because you know what does what does satan do with Eve in the first place, you can't eat this fruit. Focuses on the can't, mm -hmm. right? And I think that I think that from that tune, there is this constant, ongoing tune of you can't, yeah, and and a very negative perspective. And even the curse really kind of plays into that. With your desire shall be for your husband. Like Eve's curse is that she's going to have the hots for Adam for the rest of her life. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, it's yeah. I mean, she's going to want his leadership. You poor thing. Like you're yeah. going to adore your husband. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it just striking me. Um. In in Frozen Two. Uh huh. <laughs> All right. You have that whole interplay in that movie, which I know you like. It's your a great wife movie. Loves. It's like her favorite Disney movie. Yeah. So careful I, here. Yeah. So anyway, there's this interchange. Uh, between. Anna and Kristoff. Um, Kristoff, you know, Kristoff is aching to pop the question. You know, mm -hmm. he wants to, he wants to pursue engagement, mm -hmm. and everything that he says is being taken through the filter of can't mm. by Anna. Mm -hmm. 
it's it's all very negative and everything he's saying is getting twisted through this negative filter i've always found that whole segment of that movie um hard to manage mm. because it's it's why why does she why does she default to kant mm. why does she default to to misunderstanding what he's saying and and i think that I think that there's a lot of reality to that. Sure. I'm not talking about just women. I'm talking about men and women. Mm-hmm. We all default to Kant. It's it's the lie that Satan has told us. Yeah. If there's something we're told we can't have. Yes. Immediately. You know, it's like, it's the old, it's the old saying, you know, there's cookies. do not, do not think about Abraham Lincoln right now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, beard. Hat. Yeah. Uh, like it's, it's the old, like, this is actually... I remember having this conversation. You probably don't remember this, but I remember having this conversation when we were really little about why it seemed like every TV family at the time had a cookie jar on top of the fridge and we didn't have a cookie jar. And Interesting. I um, don't remember this. But. Yeah. My grandmother had a cookie jar. Absolutely. Um, but we didn't have a cookie jar in the house. And I remember like asking about that. And I think the state, uh, something along the lines of if there was a cookie jar, I'd have to tell you, no, you can't eat the cookies. Um, and <laughs> right? Like that yeah. you're creating a problem that doesn't have to exist. Right. Yeah. And um, we all have that kind of cookie jar mentality where if the cookie jar exists on the counter, now we have to struggle with whether or not we should eat one or not. But if, yes. it's, if it doesn't exist at all, then no worries. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, I, but we yeah, have you this... never you never have to come to terms. But on the other hand, you never have to come to terms with the reality of the cookie jar. Yeah, it's true, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, the truth is that we have this built in like problem where if we're told that something is off limits to us we want it right and um and so those two things i think have created a lot of tension around this topic we yes. want that the, the idea of can't and then the um the other one that just slipped my way um the um yeah that one um oh the assigning of value to leadership yes yes um, the false assigning of value like i i you know i had a, a great conversation with somebody the other day you know we just brought up our topic of discipleship last week and like the side comment afterward that the the guy was excited about was he's going to be able to be discipled by a pastor, and he thought that was really cool. And in my head, and this will be something that we you know address in this conversation down the road. Like in my head, I'm like, no, I'm just another Christian. It's just that my job is, um, my job is specific. Yes, like I don't have extra value as a discipler. Uh, like you know, like there might be a guy who's been a, a Jesus loving Christian for sixty years. Who has way more experience in following the Lord than I have? Um, who would you know? I would be thrilled, you know, non-pastor, right? Like if that guy came alongside me and said, "Hey, Pastor Jeremy, like, would you be interested in like meeting with me once in a while to talk about?" Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. He doesn't have to be a pastor. Like he's just somebody who has like you know a breadth of experience with the Lord. Like I would be all over that. And um. But we assign, we do these like little yeah. subtle assigning of value. Like the yeah. pastor is this little notch higher than everybody else in their church. They're just slightly more spiritual. And like, I think a lot of people just kind of crave that recognition. Yeah. And yeah. that doesn't exist here. True. True. Right. Right. Honor it, is important in everything. We, we talk about honoring, the, honoring your teachers, honoring your leaders, all of that. Um, but the assigning of extra value to this, you know, we're all still equal. Yes. But here's where the honor drives. Yeah. Right. And and I think that this is Paul's point in the text. We made this point. Each 
each sex. I don't use the word gender. Gender. It's a newly weighted term. Yeah. Gen- gender is something that's actually applied to verbs. And nouns. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. It's a mm-hmm. language word. It's not a. It's not a. It's not a biology word. Okay. Right. So, um, each sex, according to Paul, within the economy of the local church, has a place of honor. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is where we were going on Sunday. Like the and those those places of honor. I I think they're. We're, you know, I'm, the clickbaity title here is going to be "Slave Through Childbirth" on this. Yeah, episode, yeah, right? yeah. Because I think that's the thing that a lot of us key in on when we read this passage. Like, particularly, I think, you know, you immediately when you read this passage, and I'm sure they did in Timothy's day also. You, when you read this passage, you immediately think, "What about the moms who can't be moms? What about those ladies who?" will never have children or what about those women who have lost children or aren't married yet and may never get married you have all of these exceptions that you start to build up in your mind and it's very bristly too because yeah. it's like oh, i'm just saved through childbirth like, yeah. you're just saved by like grace through faith what yeah are you talking yeah. about saved by childbirth like yeah. there's this extra requirement that women have to do now like what's that yeah. well and actually there's even a I, I mentioned it sunday there's actually even a cult in the united states right that for many many years i think that they may have gone into their temple and had a conversation with god about this and come out a little differently but yeah. <laughs> there is this cult in the united states that for many many years said that women actually didn't go to heaven mm-hmm. they had babies and when they had lots and lots of children then they would be reincarnated as men and be be able and then to be eligible for and heaven. be eligible for heaven. Ooh. Right? Yeah, that's why they married so many women at once. You wanted to give get, many of them opportunities. You wanted to help them get to heaven. Yeah. yeah. So, but what Paul's doing here is he's creating a, a really like drastic divide. Obviously, yes. obviously, men cannot have kids. Still, that is an obvious thing. Men very, cannot very have true. kids, and so like. Paul like is pulling these this these two things out specifically to make this division look really apparent. Yes. Like men, obviously you can't have kids like women as an entire like sex can have, right? Um and women have this extra space of honor because as a whole like they have this capability that men do not have. Whether they exercise it or not. Right. Whether they're actually biologically capable of, right. I mean, you know, they are, bi- theoretically, every woman is biologically capable. Right. Because they're a woman. Right. They may have had some issue, some some difficulty, some it's something that mm-hmm. has prevented them from having children. They still get the honor. Right. Exactly. It still applies to them. Which, yes. again, is a challenge, I think, for a lot of women, right? Like, am I, am I less than? Is my value tied to my childbearing, right? Because we do that on this side, too. We yeah. assign, like, you know, a person's value to what they're able to give to the rest of the world. And as Christians, our economy in that is opposite. We're assigned value because of who has given it to us, not because yes. of what we can do. Yes. yes. And um, and so um, that, but that that's a struggle also in that space. But the the point is, like I, when I was talking about this with my wife, this is a macroeconomics versus personal finance issue. Absolutely. And yep. like so, women on the macroeconomic side, like as an entire like group of people all share in this honor, whether or not they exercise that honor specifically in their world. Right. Or even if they're good at it. Right. You know, there, right. there's some women who have just been- Bad moms. Bad moms. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Uh, Oof. You're oh. in pastoral ministry at all, you get those stories. Oh, but- Still, there's the part of the honor. They are still part of the honor. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah, that's just, yeah, the macro world, all women everywhere honored for this. Cause here's the deal. And I think that Paul kind of hits on it. They're the future. Mm-hmm. They are, they as a whole, all of, all of womankind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the future doesn't exist to the reality of the future. Their presence. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which I think, by the way, cutting room floor thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's why it's cursed. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the reasons that God curses Eve and saying, I'm going to greatly multiply the pain in your childbearing. And, yeah. And, and so, I mean, one theory on this is that, is that Eve probably became more fertile. Mm. So she would have more children. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, I mean, that's one theory on it. Not okay. that, you know, another one is an, there's an anatomical change and yet there isn't an anatomical, you know, all, all mammals basically birth children the same way. Yeah. Um, Except for those platypi. Yeah, that's true. Well, they're actually, um, <laughs> you know, they all basically birth children the same way. Um, but, you know, there, I think that there could be like a multiplication of it, but here's the, I think the part of the curse is here's, here's your future. Mm-hmm. Here's your blessing. Your blessing is what now once was, what was once pure blessing will now have pain associated, pain with associated it. with it. Right. Whether that's like, and we focus on the immediacy, the immediacy of that pain, right? Yes. Like just the agony of the five to 500 hours it takes you to go through childbirth. Right. Right. Um, or, but also in the whole idea of it, like you, like, my wife will agonize over decisions that we have to make in our life because of what it, how it impacts our kids. Yes. And, yeah. um, and she will think about that before I think about it. It yeah. doesn't mean I don't think about it. No. Just but, like it didn't mean that like during like those 22, 26 hours that we were in the hospital that I wasn't also feeling some level of pain far removed from the level of pain my wife was feeling. But I still empathized with and felt like the process of childbirth with her. I wasn't immune from that. Yeah. Um, and so like men and women aren't immune from like understanding both of these things, but she's going to feel that way more than I will. Oh, the absolutely. whole weight of that and always will. I used the illustration Sunday of uh, Johann Sebastian Bach and his wife. They had 20 kids mm-hmm. and, and, and like 10 survived to adulthood. Yeah. And, and I just thought of, you know, the pain there. Yeah. The pain of childhood is that, I've, I spent, you know, Mrs. Bach saying, I, I spent 25 years of my life, eight birth. years, eight years birthing this baby yeah. and two years later to the baby's dead, yeah. you know, kind of a thing. And we don't go through that as much in our current culture. We still struggle with it. I, I know women who yeah. have miscarriages miscarried. and losing, I, um, you know, SIDS, all those things still. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I mentioned that, you know, in my lifetime, I have buried a, a two year old a three-year-old and a 10-year-old. And none of those was easy. Right, right, right. None of those was easy for anybody, but especially for the mom. Mm-hmm. And that's because, that's because it's her honor yeah. to be a childbearer. Yeah. And think about this. Let's, let's put this shoe on the other foot. Let's talk about that woman who's never had a baby. Mm-hmm. Do you think she's like, glad I never went through that? Or does she agonize over the fact that she's not had children? Yeah. I mean, I don't particularly know, but I could see that being the case. Not in that shoe. But you know what? I honor her for that. Yes, absolutely. 
I honor her for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's, she's agonized through that. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's one of the struggles of abortion mm. is that these women, after they abort, are struggling with the reality that here they have this honor. And it was stolen from them. And for a moment in time, they allowed their circumstances or their culture or, or their own personal pain to, to steal that opportunity from them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but I, I think that within the church, you know, to gain balance, to gain perception on this, we need to elevate our women and honor them. Yes. Because they're the future. Yeah. They are, they are God's blessing to this world that no man will ever do. Right. Right. You talked, you know, and I think one of the things that you covered in your sermon on Sunday, you know, on the flip side with men, you know, we have this honor uh, of leadership and, uh, you know, unauthenticating, you know, and all, you know, that authority that comes from that honor of leadership. And in the same way, like not every man will ever exercise that authority in a church context or, you know, or will be a leader, like just because he's a man, like, you know, it's the same thing. Yeah. Like just because the macroeconomics of, um, of, you know, the masculine world is the honor of church leadership doesn't mean that people on a microeconomic scale will exercise it. Right. But still the honor is due to that, to that group. And not, and just because a man is a man doesn't mean he'll be a great leader. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, again, again, Pitiful leaders. Example after example after example. Oh, yeah. Probably more examples of bad ones than good ones. Too bad, yeah. Um, Well, you go through the history of Israel, right? There's the curse too, right? In our labor as men, you know, the ground we work with will make us sweat and it will always be a struggle and we will never get the um, validation or authentication of our authenticating work that we crave. Right. There's there's that old statement. It almost sounds it almost sounds Shakespearean, but it probably isn't. It it's uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Yeah, it might be Shakespearean. Yeah, yeah. leadership leadership stinks, folks. Yeah, yeah. Leadership leadership is, you know, there are times we're still inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, yeah. right. So there are times when leading volunteers in the local church. <laughs> Is comparable to herding cats. That's generous. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Some of some of us would much rather herd, herd cats. cats. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, leadership is never easy, right? Um, it's it's you know does it have does it bear fruit? Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, yeah. Most there, of the time, are there moments of joy? Yes. Do you go through agony and still like a year or two later be like, hey, let's try leading again. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, totally. But again, like it's, yeah. I think. I'm, it, don't, ladies, please. I'm not. We're not equating. I'm not equating. No, we would never make that mistake. We're both married. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> not equating. I, I'm just saying. I'm not, I'm not making an egalitarian statement. Mm. I'm making a complimentary statement. That's good. Yeah. It works for me. Yeah. Yeah. That, that there are aspects of this that just, they complement. They, they work together with everything else that's going on. And the whole point here is this, is coming back to this doctrine of unity where we are lending honor, um, 
and humility to our community so that we can thrive. Yes. And so with like the two minutes we have left in yeah, this episode, yeah. what's he mean by salvation? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not soteriological. We didn't, there's a word for you. It's not, it's not that they're going to go to heaven for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more along the lines of that they will be, they will be, uh, I'm going to use the word honored. Okay. It's just like they will be um, lifted up. Mm. That the thing that, the thing that distinguishes them. Cause, so are we tying into that word that comes from like, you know, the lifting up of the serpent on the bronze staff and I, like, there's just like, they would be this beacon of like hope. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The thing, the thing that, the thing that saves them or sets them apart is, is childbearing. That, yeah. that is, it is what gives the church hope. Yeah. It's what gives, it's what gives society hope. Yeah. I found this really great passage of scripture as I was, as I was digging into that. Um, it's from Isaiah and it talks about the return of, uh, it talks about the return of Israel mm-hmm. um, in its day. Um, and what Isaiah says is that, um, the pregnant woman will return. Mm-hmm. Uh, and looking at that passage of scripture in this context of honor, and, uh, it, you know, the world is afraid of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the world tries to make it sound like to get pregnant in this day and age is just... It's a mistake. It's a mistake because, you know, you're bringing them in. Uh, here it is. Actually, it's from Jeremiah. Oh, I like that. Jeremiah question. 31. It says, Behold... I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the pregnant women, and she who is in labor together, a great company, and they shall return here uh, with weeping. I will lead them back. And Jeremiah 31, the graduation passage. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and <laughs> the hope for the future. The hope for the future. The pregnant woman is coming back. Yeah. Because, because the pregnant woman, not this is the blind and the lame. Okay. They're going to be in a safe place They're where they won't be. They're going to be in a safe be. place. Yeah. yeah. But the future of Israel mm-hmm. is with that pregnant woman and the woman in labor. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's. It's a statement of society's hope. Yep. Right. And that's Jeremiah's fo- yeah. focus. So the salvation, their, their salvation in a sense is their salvation of the world. Their salvation of the church is in childbearing. Sure. They are providing a gift. Right. And this is true, like of prophecy, right? You get this like near term thing that validates the future thing. And then Paul, when he's writing about this, is referencing all of that in the in the brilliant way that he does, inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? Yes. And so what's going on, Jeremiah, right, is like on the near term, the future hope of our society, the salvation of who we are as a people, the lifting up of honor comes because these people, like the the women will again be comfortable and excited about bringing children into the world that we're creating yeah yeah and also down the road like you'll see that in the near term and that will prove that our actual ultimate salvation will come from a woman who will give birth yeah uh, to a son who will be the actual salvation of the world yes and then paul is pulling all of this beautiful world word picture back into how the church operates by saying hey on the near term the church can thrive and the church can be an environment of thriving because men and women will get along and be unified in humility. And the church will continue long yes. past our day. Yes. Because this will be a place where women will be 
will happily bring children in the future into this and will continue to allow the church to grow and thrive. And yeah. ultimately, the consummation of all things and the redemption of all things comes because of the one who was born from that woman when he returns. Yeah, yeah. And so Paul's statement on the salva- on salvation coming through childbirth yeah. is is a statement on our, our redemption as a people. Yeah, yeah, that, very true. That comes because yeah. of women being able to exercise this gift that God's given them. Yeah. And men stewarding the institution that they're bringing in, right? Yep, so they're bringing in the future. This Men are stewarding it, and together we look forward to the kingdom of heaven. Right, right. Great relationship stuff. Sure. I mean, there's that element there where where women are relying upon developing an environment of faith and love um, within the context of humility and with the desire of lifting up their children. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, in in some ways that goes. I know we're over time, but that goes to um, our our foundational concepts here at Marsh. Hmm. I mean, our strategic decision as a church, um, even a hundred years ago when this church was established as a Sunday from a Sunday school. Yeah, yeah. But our strategic decision as a church is children's ministry is key to the future. Mm-hmm. Children's ministry is key to who we are, mm-hmm. um, and we strategically focus on building children's ministries and youth ministries because those ministries are the future of the church. Mm-hmm. They're the present of the church. They're the present. Right? Absolutely. They're right? but yeah. They're also the way that this, this thing continues. But let, let's paint this picture. If, yeah. if women with their children who they are agonizing over mm-hmm. every day, find an environment in a church where there is a unity because everybody knows who the leaders are supposed to be and everybody knows who the, who the faith drivers are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. If, if we're in that environment and it's an environment that says children are important, then women are going to say to their husbands, this is the place we need to be. Mm-hmm. And this is the place where you need to exercise your leadership mm-hmm. because this, this is a community that my kids will grow up in healthy yeah. and will be part of. Yeah. And that's the hope. Yeah. The hope for us currently and the hope for our future. Yeah. And we hope that you uh, enjoyed this conversation and maybe got a little bit out of it, particularly if you were in, you know, you've been in uh, our church or watched our services over the last few weeks and you had questions. Maybe we were able to answer some of those for you. Maybe you have more and that's awesome. You can always email us, podcast at marshcorner.com. And uh, thanks for joining us. We'll see you back here next time. You have been listening to Inside the Pastor Study Podcast with Pastors George and Jeremy Stevens. Artwork by Caitlin Gallagher, music by San Demetrius, and engineering help from Ashley Gallagher. To find out more about us, head to Marsh Corner.